Welcome to the new TV Gold podcast from Media Week's Andrew Mercado and James Manning, a podcast for people who love great television. On this episode of TV Girl, The Burning Girls on Paramount, Payback on BritBox, Surviving Summer on Netflix, Never Let Him Go on Disney+, and a couple of other things we've been watching we'll mention at the end of the episode. Welcome back, Andrew Mercado. Hi, James. Look, um, we'll start with The Burning Girls this week. Look, it's um, in the first few minutes you see two young girls burnt at the stake. Wow. Then you see- then you see a reverend hanging from a noose in a church. Oh. And I was thinking, wow, this is going to be pretty grim. But it, it sort of wasn't It wasn't really that dark. It was very quirky, though. Yeah, it was very quirky. And I must admit, it does sort of play into that. It's this time of year. It's Halloween. We do get all of these scary movies and TV shows that come out around this time of the year. So it certainly played into that. But yeah, it's very full on to start a series with (laughs) two young girls being burned at the stake, little kids being dragged out of a house and uh, by a bunch of men and set on fire, not even for being witches, for being Protestants, part of Queen um, Mary's uh, Let's Get the Protestants. Yeah, and we should point out this was, yeah, so it it starts 500 years ago. Yeah. Then it flashes forward to like, I think, three months prior, and then it flashes forward to the current day. Yeah. There's those three sort of distinct times near the start, and most of it's in the current, um, set in the current day. We talked before about the device where people use a dream sequence to have some shocking footage. Yeah. Um, And if that annoys you, you're not going to like the burning (laughs) girls because it happens all the time, doesn't it? That's a scene will start and you go, oh, my Lord, what's happening here? Then then you realise, oh, they're just dreaming and they wake up. Yeah, yeah, the old soap trick, you know. Um, But, yeah, look, it's still good, though, James. Um, It is very full on. And, look, it does – it does feel like it's got elements of shows that we've seen before, you know, the small town, uh, the yeah. newcomer arriving, the, the the teenage daughter that doesn't want to be there. You know, we've seen a lot of these beats before, but whether or not they, they pull it off the extent of the series depends very much on where the story goes uh, and, and the great cast they've got. I'm buying it. I know I'm in on it because mainly of Samantha Morton in the lead. Totally. She plays the small village vicar. Um, Jack Brooks is her character's name. And she comes in to replace this vicar that has, well, you, th- you, it shows him being hung at the start. But then there's some questions about, well, did he really hang himself as the series progresses, as we sort of learn more about the background to what happened? So she comes in. She's got her young daughter called Flo, uh, played by Ruby Stokes. Yep. And they're, yeah, they're both treated as outsiders. They find yeah. it hard to assimilate. She's got a really creepy sort of parish assistant who Harry. who works with him, and he he just really freaks me out every time he comes in. He, <laughs> he keeps showing up behind her and scaring yeah. the hell out of her. Which is- yeah. And then, of course, you've got the the rich family in town, the one yeah. that she's told, don't mess with them. They run the town. They're the, <laughs> the big family. And, of course, that's uh, Rupert Graves, and he's not very pleasant at all based on what we've seen. No, he's not. It's a, it's a good role, and he's obviously having a bit of fun doing it. And he's got um, a couple of kids who are real trouble as well. They um, 
they pretend to want to reach out to um, uh, Jack Brooks, the Reverend's daughter, but sort of she's not quite sure if they're really trying to be friendly or trying to manipulate her, and that all goes bad after their first meeting. Um, she does befriend a sort of another loner in the village, and they sort of get on okay, and they're sort of spooked a little bit by the rich kids, which is an interesting narrative that runs along too. So yeah, it's a it's a you learn about the community's dark history. Um, there's lots of sort of superstitions, the mistrust of outsiders, um, all the cliche, all the cliches, if you like, of a sort of a a horror show set in a, a regional community, but they do it very well. And it's it's kind of weird this kind of pagan ritual that they have because these two girls get burned as per the titles on this day of the year they make little effigies of burning girls and set them on fire and throw them around and they go oh we're commemorating the girls that are dead and it's like you've got little kids in the village burning girls as a it, it seems all very odd but I, I, it's meant to be you know to sort of tell you that. The people who live in this town are a bit out there. And how's the cra the 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 old lady that asks to see the reverend and then fills her in? Because there's another mystery to all of this. There's also two young girls that went missing 30 years ago uh, that have completely yeah. disappeared without a trace. So you've got all these different weird stories that have been going on in this town. If I was that vicar, I would get my teenage daughter in the car and do a U-turn and leave immediately. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how this plays out um, over the six episodes on Paramount+. Plus. Um, yeah, will there be an explanation or will it just stay a little bit of a sort of a mystery about sort of what happened? I, I would like to think there'll be some explanation for some of the creepy stuff that goes on. And you get to find out. But as I mentioned, Samantha Morton really carries this, I think, much as she did on the Serpent Queen. Yeah. Which we saw, I think that was last year, might even be two years ago now, but, um, it was a little earlier. I mean, she, she's got a really diverse career. She was in the whale. Uh, she, I think she was in a season of the walking dead. Um, yep. she was in harlots. So she's done yep. some great work over her journey. Yes, she has. And I mean, I've seen her in some wonderful movies over the year. In fact, I remember, you know, one of the first things she ever did where she played this sort of Irish mother who came to uh, America with her kids and they were really struggling. I'm trying to, it's called In America. That's the first time I really remember seeing her in something and thinking, who is her, who is she? But yeah, she's a great actress and yeah, she's very, very, very watchable. Yeah. Okay. So The Burning Girls, Paramount Plus, six episodes. Uh, let's go to a doco on Disney Plus now. Um, it's called Never Letting Go. It's sort of a US and Australian co-pro, I think, Andrew, with um, Blackfella Films with the Australian production company involved and Darren Dale was one of the executive producers. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see that. I mean, it starts with ABC American News logo and you think, okay, this is American doco. And the next minute you see it's a, it's a co-pro with Blackfella Films. And I mean, on top of the great dramas they've made like Total Control and Red Fern Now, you know, Blackfella Films have made the first Australians and the Australian Wars and a whole bunch of incredible documentaries. And, you know, they are very much, uh, they err towards, uh, shows with Indigenous themes and, uh, you know, documentaries with and dramas with LGBT themes. And this one really hits the latter category. 
It's great to see a, a program and a doco like this on a big platform like Disney Plus. Yeah. It really gives us a big audience, doesn't it? It, it tells the story of a guy called Scott Johnson. His body was found um, at the base of a cliff, I think, which was somewhere near Manly in Sydney. Yeah, North Head. Yeah. Um, and they initially said he, you know, committed suicide, but his friends and family were, nah. They just didn't think that was him, you know. They just didn't think he would do something like that. So they've investigated, and the the documentary sort of unfolds the process they went through to sort of find out some detail about what really happened. And, look, I am very, very familiar with this story. I've been following it for years and years because it's, you know, part of that spate of gay hate crimes that were happening in the late 80s, early 90s, and we're only now starting to get, you know, more information about them. Um, and, and this has been the subject of a couple of Australian stories, uh, and so I know the characters in this, but this one is a much bigger documentary. So Australian Story has always focused on the brother of the so-called suicide victim, who, of course, turned out to be a murder victim. And uh, his brother hired a private investigator. His brother, see, these brothers were uh, nerds and mathematical geniuses. And um, his the brother has made a lot of money. So money was no object for him to hire a private investigator and look into this. And it's been covered quite extensively in this in the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, and we've seen this story, but we've never seen this story with footage that was taken of the entire family that were left behind and, uh, you know, cameras with them as, as they go into court to get final verdicts and all that. So it's a much fuller story of this. And, of course, there's more details in this because it's kind of made for an American market who doesn't understand anything of this story and has to be told about where Sydney was and the gay scene and AIDS and the Grim Reaper campaign and all that sort of stuff that contributes to the story. Yeah, it's amazing how they've, um, I would say recreated, but they didn't recreate. They actually used a lot of footage from yeah. Sydney in the late 80s. And you, yeah. get, you get a real feel for what the city was like back then. I, mean, I know I came from outside of Sydney, but I moved to Sydney at the very end of the 80s. And, um, yeah, it just gave me a lot of flashbacks, really captured the feeling of the place back then. And, of course, not very complimentary about New South Wales police at the time. Um, I think it's fascinating, you know, that the police just go, oh, well, it's suicide. And, and the question gets asked, you know, is this an area where gay men were, is there a history of gay men being bashed there? No, 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 nothing like that. You know, clearly he just jumped off the rocks. It's a suicide spot. And yet the private investigator who comes out to Australia gets off the plane catches a ferry to Manly, walks up to the spot where it was, sees some people working at the workstation there and wanders over to them and says, oh, look, I was just wondering, is this a place that gay men hang around? Oh, yeah, this is a notorious gay bee. Oh, yeah, I've been working here for years, mate. Everybody in Manly knows that. Everybody in Manly but the police. I mean, yeah. it's 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 pretty damning right from the word go on their, their lack of investigation and their willingness to jump to conclusions. Yeah. I mean, we just watched the, um, the long shadow, uh, a fortnight ago. And it reminds yeah. me of that, the Yorkshire Ripper. They just, yeah. they kept thinking, oh, they had their man, uh, cause they, it was sort of an easy way out for them. 
Um, and that was quite damning of the police procedure that went on there. And the, the guy they eventually caught who was guilty, they'd interviewed him, I think, nine times previously, but yeah. they let him go every time. They were, it was right under their noses. But also this disregard for, oh, well, they're prostitutes, they were asking for it. The same thing applied to gay men in the 90s. Oh, well, they're gay men, they're asking for it. Um, who needs to investigate it? If, if, if they got puffed abashed, so what? That's a great Australian sport. You know, it's, 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 it's really uh, disturbing in a, in a lot of ways. But, you know, so incredible that they got to the bottom of it. I mean, it's four episodes. I've watched the first two hours of it. It's, it's, it's really, really well done. And even though I know the story, I'm going to follow this through to the end because it's so well made, as is everything that Blackfella Films makes. Yeah, so look, well done to Blackfella Films and um, ABC News Studios, the, the two production companies that help put together Never Let Him Go. Four episodes, it's on Disney Plus now. Andrew, let's talk about Surviving Summer. Yeah. Now, you alerted me to this one, and look, I... I'm sure I've seen it in my, you know, when you log on to Netflix and you get the the big window of everything that's there and you think, oh, look, I dismiss this as just a teen series, you know, it, probably not for me. But you mentioned it. Look, it's it's in its second season. It's a very popular drama, Australian drama that's done very well globally. So, look, I got into it and, wow, I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, it's interesting for me. You know, I knew it was a teen show, so I wasn't really target market. Uh, but, you know, I was interested in the theme that it was set by, you know, that it was about surfers, young surfers. Uh, and also I read that Christian Van Vuren had directed some of it. So I was like, okay, I need to check this out. And then you look at the pedigree involved. I mean, one of the uh, creators slash producers is uh, Joanna Werner, who, you know, has made shows like this before. I mean, she made Dance Academy, uh, which was massively huge uh, for the ABC. So she understands this genre. She understands the audience. And it, it's it's really lovely. And I must admit, I remember watching it thinking, wow, you know, there was nothing like this that was contemporary and made for Australian teenagers in the 70s when I was growing up. I mean, the closest we got to it was class of 74, you know, which wasn't really grounded in any sort of reality. But it's so nice to see a series now where, you know, Australian kids and kids all around the world can see a nice show um, with a healthy activity like this like surfing and there's nobody really yeah you know you've got the love triangle and all of that but there's no nastiness in this what i think is really really interesting too is that when you start to see the australian actors in it who are playing the parents like yes. adrian pickering and dustin clare who play uh the parents of it you know they're, they're the scenes in their home they get on the kids like them you know they're mucking around in the kitchen there's literally no nastiness isn't in it it's just a, a story about, you know, kids loving what they do, whether it's Dance Academy dancing or this one surviving summer where they're surfing. It's just a really, really nice show. And, and isn't that great that we can make that sort of show and put it out around the world before you get to, say, the Heartbreak High era where, mm. you know, there's a lot more issues as those kids get older and it becomes a lot grittier. You've got this lovely sort of innocence where it's just kids who love to surf and and, uh, you know, they want to have, you know, have a boyfriend and all that sort of stuff. 
Yeah, I think teen drama almost pigeonholes it too much for me. I think it's I I feel feel it's a bit more like a family drama, you know. In a yeah, way. that actually that's actually you're right. That is, yeah. and and I was thinking about Love Is in the Air, and I thought well, there's some similarities between these shows. Um, different stories, of course, but but there's a lot there for the family to enjoy, you know. And I'm glad yeah. you mentioned Joanna Werner, you know. Well, the newsreader, of course, just finished this week. She was heavily involved in that. Um, Crazy Fun Park, I think she won a, a Logie for that this year. Wow. I think it's a kid's show. A Clickbait, which we've watched. Riot, which is a show you quite like with Daniel Oh, yeah, Harriman. fantastic ABC telemoving. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Dance Academy and Secret City is also yeah. on her um, CV. And then I'm glad also you mentioned Dustin Clare. Oh, I, I really like his work. I mean, look, he doesn't have a lot to do in this at times, but I, I just like him being there as the dad. Um, Look, Doctor Doctor, Glitch, uh, Wolf Creek, Satisfaction are some of his shows. He was Chris- and of course McLeod's daughters oh. for Dustin Creek. And isn't he rocking a mullet in Surviving oh. Summer? That's one hell of a mullet he's got going. <laughs> oh, he has a uh, forty-six episodes of um, of McLeod's, of course, as Riley Ward, and he played yeah. Chris Flannery in Underbelly. Yeah. Something I didn't know. He's also producer of a series called Tiny Spaces, which looks like a doco about the tiny house movement. Which well, that's like because he's got a streaming service, and James that him out here. That's his. That oh, architectural yeah. streaming service. That Dustin Clare has started that. So he's one of those smart actors that isn't sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. He's just gotten out there and done something that he loves and he's interested in, and, and created a a whole. Uh, a whole place where you can watch your reality porn in one streaming service. <laughs> that's that's fascinating. We actually, well, we should get him on one week to talk about that. Oh, that'd be great. I remember reading about the streaming service and it. I think, yeah, an actor's done this. That's interesting, but I just couldn't recall who had done it. Um, it's actually filmed too. I mean, you would expect something like this to be filmed up around Byron or Queensland. It was actually in Victoria on what they call the Surf Coast, which I think is... Bells Beach and Torquay and down around that area. And but I'm also made- fascinated by the wave pool that they've got in it. Clearly yeah. that's Melbourne West somewhere, but, you know, this this wave pool where, you know, it's, it, it must be so much easier to film a surfing sequence in a wave pool, that really controlled environment, because, you know, the stuff they actually do out in the ocean is pretty incredible um, and looks amazing. But, you know, you would also think, wow, it'd be so much easier to do it in a controlled area where you know the wave going to come at a certain time and curl in a certain way so you can get the camera there. So they get the best of both worlds here. Yeah, absolutely. And the surfing's pretty authentic too. They, um, it, it looks really good. It's no just- yeah, It doesn't look like doubles, does it, James? It looks like uh, they're- someone really close up someone's head and with a bloody uh, surf backdrop behind <laughs> him or something. Yes, no, there's none of that. He's really on the waves. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, very enjoyable. Um What's that called? Surviving Summer, two seasons. First season was 10 eps. I think the second is eight, and it's available on Netflix. Look, this next show, I've been really hanging out for this one. Um, it's been getting a, a, quite a lot of press, especially in the UK. Uh, payback. It's yeah. on Ritbox. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, look, there's a lot of crime drama that comes out of the UK, right? Yes, um, there is. But if the name Jed Mercurio's was something, it immediately sort of 
comes up on the radar a little bit and you think, oh, maybe I should watch this one. And, you know, let's face it, this one is a, to be specific, it's a Scottish drama. And, my God, I mean, I reckon every amazing Scottish actor that we've ever seen in a UK drama is in payback. Yeah, absolutely. Stars Morven Christie and Peter Mullen. Uh, Morven Christie plays Lexi Noble, who's the wife of an accountant who... Mm, it's not really a spoiler. Is he gets into a fair bit of trouble as the series launches, okay? And she yeah. gets entangled in some business she didn't know he had sort of as a little side hustle, if you like. Yeah. It was a pretty big side hustle, it turns out. Yeah, it turns out to be a massive one. And you've got Peter Mullen in there who, you know, can play that kind of passive-aggressive, you know, crime figure so well. But, of course, we've also seen him be lovely and charming in that delightful little sitcom Mum that starred Leslie Manville and he was kind of the the guy on the sidelines hoping one day to get noticed by her because he's been secretly in love with her for years and years. But we've seen him be terrifying in so many dramas and he's certainly playing the crime figure in this one. But the cast, it just keeps coming and coming. You see Stephen McIntosh, who I'm pretty sure was in uh, some Star Wars movies. Okay. You see Prasanna Puwana Rajar, who was in Dr. Foster, uh, and he's recognisable. You see Derek Riddell, who we know from Happy Valley. I mean, you just keep seeing all of these faces going, I know you. Oh, God, I know you. And they're all just delivering such strong work here. Yeah, yeah. No, look, it's um, it's really enjoyable. Look, I did stress a little bit in that first episode, oh, I can't follow this, what's happening? But you it, you work it out eventually. It become it's pretty simple the storyline. But but I was I often worry at the start, oh, I won't be able to follow this. It's too tricky. But no, nah, look, just you can sit back and enjoy it. And it's a pretty basic plot once they've established those main characters. Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, I actually, and I don't do this normally before uh, doing shows, but uh, I actually kind of came upon a review of it by The Guardian that just said they couldn't follow the plot and gave it only three stars. And I was like, I can totally follow this plot. And by the way, I'm Googling as I speak, Stephen McIntosh wasn't in any Star Wars films. I don't know why I thought that, but he's got that sort of face that made me think that I'd seen him in that. He has been in some pretty big movies, Underworld and Memphis Bell. But yeah, I'm thinking of someone else in terms of playing a villain in Star Wars. Okay. Okay. Um, we mentioned um Sort of producer, writer, director, Jed Mercurio. We watched, I've watched Trigger Point. I'm not sure. Did you say that was about the, the bomb squad last year? Yes. Uh, watched that. Bodyguard's probably one of his most famous things. That was a very successful series. D.I. Ray was another recent one. Um, perhaps best known of everything, though, for Line of Duty. Correct. That's what um, I would have always thrown to his name. Yeah, I think six seasons of six episodes maybe but yeah since 2012 that's been um very popular so he's a a huge name and when it comes to it's, it's p- the police dramas almost more than crime dramas aren't they because there's always sort of focus around the police and how they end up sort of their procedure trying to catch the crims 
Look, I um, watched two episodes of this back-to-back, and there's six episodes, and I will love to be able to watch all this. I reckon I'm in for the long run here. And we should mention, too, that Payback is a BritBox production, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, six episodes. I've talked about BritBox before. I've got an annual sub, which I think I pay about 80-odd dollars for. Yeah. It's a big whack when it comes off the, the credit card, but it's once a year, and they do get some good stuff, and there's you know, if you're into British crime drama, they, they're not all originals, but they've got everything. I mean, it's all there. There's just a wonderful catalog of, um, shows and there's lots of stuff I've never seen, which some great actors, which, you know, one rainy day I'm going to get into, but, um, there's some really good things there. So the litmus test should be if we're paying around $80 a year annually, which we are for a lot of these services. Yeah. Really, the way to think of that is they only need four great dramas of that year and yeah. you, you've paid for it because you go to a movie theater and watch a movie for 20 bucks on yeah. average. Yeah, so yeah. you really only need, a, you know, four shows in the year and, and it's paid its way, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is definitely one of them, and I'm definitely yeah, yeah. And they've had plenty of other stuff, I think, which would would stand up to that sort of um, financial examination too. Um, payback. Look, a couple of other things this this week I wanted to mention. Look, first of all, can I talk about billions again? And look, oh yeah, you love billions. People are sick of me talking about billions. I will be brief. <laughs> this is the last season, season seven. And I bet some people have thought, oh, look, you know, I've enjoyed it, but, you know, Axe left the show, Damien Lewis, he hasn't been in it. It's not quite the same, but, oh, boy, oh, boy, this season, uh, it's up to they showed episode 10. There's going to be 12 episodes, I think. I was watching episode 10. I thought, this is the season finale. They were sort of wrapping up things. I thought, this is going to be it. But, look, I'm... We know Damien Lewis is back this year, but I'm not going to say how much he's been back, but he's back in episode 10. Oh, my Lord. I've talked a lot about the way the episodes finish with a great piece of music in the soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah. That's ranged from ACDC to Bob Dylan and everywhere in between, right? There's a really quirky selection of music. (laughs) This week, I'm sure they're not one of your favourites, Andrew, but it's Slayer, okay? The... um, (laughs) I think it's the heavy metal band, sort of on the edge of thrash, the very full oh. on, and the music pumps out, and there's Damien Lewis. He's standing there with a leather jacket on and his Slayer T-shirt on as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's just a fan. If you like those sort of, sort of it's really an iconic moment in that series, you know, which has had a lot of episodes it's just a fantastic end of that episode and it really winds you up when you realize, oh, I looked it up and I thought, oh, no, there's two more to go. Fantastic, you know. So what's your prediction? Like these are the last two episodes of Billions, right? But yes. then we know there's spin-offs coming down the track, uh, millions, trillions, whatever they are. So what's your prediction? Do you think that they're setting something up to take someone from the world of Billions into their own spin-off? Well, look, here's the thing. I have no idea. But right. the spin-off thing has gone quiet since the actors' strike, actors and writers, ah, right? right. The whole thing. That, so, And plus the whole streaming model, because it's been upended a little bit. Yeah. That was announced when in a very different world, right? Right, like, right, right. Like 12 months ago when they were throwing everything at streaming. Yeah. Now they're backing away from that big time. Yes. And the whole 
production world's been thrown up in the air as well. So what I would hope is, yes, there will be maybe two spin-offs, and I think maybe some of the cast will go into one, some of the cast will go into another, and they might even do some crossover episodes, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's my billions fantasy. Will it happen? I'm not sure. <clears throat> I've also watched, there's a, a movie which, now TV Tonight gave this a massive rating, The Burial. It's sort of a um, an American legal drama, courtroom drama. Jamie Foxx and Tommy Lee Jones are involved. Um, it's a one-off? It is. It's a one-off. It's a movie. It's on Prime. So yep. If you're a subscriber to, um, if you're an Amazon Prime customer, you get it. And I've said before, look, I don't put Prime in my budget for entertainment. Because it's Amazon, I put it in my household expenses column. That helps <laughs> me get away with it because I save money buying a few things on Amazon during the year and I get free delivery and I write that off as a bonus of having that is my Prime subscription, <laughs> getting the video. So that's how I justify that anyway. So that, but it's, look, it's really good. Uh, Jamie Foxx is just incredible as Jeremiah O'Keefe, really flamboyant um, lawyer. He's usually an ambulance chaser, but Tommy Lee Jones pitches this case to him to, to help him with his funeral business. And he thinks, no, look, it's not me. I don't want to do this. But then he, he convinces him and he takes it on. And it's the story goes on from there. It's really intriguing and it's a lot of fun. Look, I wouldn't have given it four or four and a half stars or whatever TV Tonight gave it. But, look, it is up there and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, right. Look, I haven't watched a lot over the past week, James. I've been away. I've been in Broken Hill working from sunrise till sunset. Um, I don't know whether you know the 1970 Australian movie Wake in Fright. Of course um, I know it. Arguably the greatest Australian film ever made, yeah, yeah. A film that I saw when I was a really little boy, sat up one night by myself watching it on black and white TV and was forever you know, monumentally disturbed by it. Um, so quite amazing. We went out to Broken Hill, so I'm working for Umbrella Entertainment, who are going to release it on 4K Blu-ray next wow. year. So we went out there, myself and Mark Hartley and, you know, my old Channel V producer, Tony Whitaker. We went out there to make this kind of almost feature-length documentary about Broken Hill, where all, where it was filmed, all the locations. And believe it or not, James, we found every single location in the film, including the middle of nowhere, 65 kilometres from Broken Hill, we were able to find the bricks, the remains of the schoolhouse and the pub that they built for the opening and closing shots of the film. And only that ABC radio in Broken Hill put me on their breakfast show on Friday morning for me to make this plea, please, if there's any local info, you know, we're, we're looking for stuff that, that was done 53 years ago and there's, you know, scant evidence. And we actually found the sheep grazier who owns the property, who bought the property 25 years ago and someone's said to him, oh, yeah, mate, they filmed a movie there. And he told me one day he was grazing the sheeps and he just went, what's that over there? And he found a bunch of bricks and then that story came back to him and he went on the other side of the railway track and there was more remains of 
the the pub where the pub had been. So to, to find those locations and to talk to people about the history of two-up, which was a major thing in Broken Hill, illegal back then, now legal every Friday night at the Palace Hotel. We were staying there. It was just downstairs. We went down. There was two-up. There was the ringmaster. Then we had the mayor there telling us all about the history of Rue shooting, you know, because the kangaroo – Kangaroos getting shot is a very disturbing sequence of wake in fright. So we're going to be able to make the most killer documentary for that release next year. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Look, we'll certainly be all over that uh, when it comes out on that um, that DVD release. That sounds fantastic. And then this weekend off to a property outside Tamworth to uh, film a uh, a group of bikies who were doing a ride and then laying some wreaths for Vietnam veterans uh, and the actors from the, the 1974 Australian movie Stone, Stone, you know, which Quentin Tarantino will tell you is the greatest biker film ever made. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a lot going on with Umbrella Entertainment at the moment. You know, there's such, there's such great operators because they actually spend money to get all of this stuff to, you know, honour Australian cinema. And they put so much time and care into it. It's, it's fantastic that they're, you know, they're always willing to, you know, keep Australian cinema history alive. Sandy Harbour, was it? Yes, Sandy Harbour was the writer, director, star of the film, and he died recently. So, you know, they're going to do uh, something special for him. Yeah. Just quickly on that, you mentioned the train line. Yeah. Is that still in use, that train line that goes through the property, or is it disused? No, it's still there. It's the train that goes from Sydney to Broken Hill, and it's a very straight line. And okay. the only when you look at the opening scene of Wake in Fright with this schoolhouse, the train line, and the pub in the middle of nowhere for a 360 degree shot so the camera can zoom around and just see red earth going as far as the eye can see to give you that sense of you are in the middle of nowhere. When they originally did that, there was a railway siding there where a train could pull off to the side and another train could pass because it's only one track, you know. Yeah. So I kept saying, look, you know, don't worry, we'll find these bricks. Don't <laughs> worry. We've got a rough idea where it is, and there's a railway siding. We just have to find that railway siding and we're sorted. Well, guess what, James? There's no more bloody railway siding. I mean, in the 53 years since the film was made, the railway line's been ripped up and it's been raised off the ground with like a ton of rocks and ballast because, yeah. you know, when the, the railway lines are in the ground, in the, in the dirt on timber railway things, you know, there's it's it's very shaky. What they do now is they build it up on a much stronger base so that the train can go faster with less bumping. So, yeah, we never would have found it. If, if that guy hadn't heard me on the radio and been so helpful and been there waiting for us at the designated <laughs> spot, even with cold cans of beer, he went, well, guys, you know, it's Friday afternoon. You have to have a beer. Come on. <laughs> so such great local knowledge and hospitality. Like, it's amazing that we found it. I think it's the um, the Indian Pacific goes through there too, probably, doesn't it? The Sydney to Perth, I think it's probably. Yeah, I think it might. Yeah. It's the only train line going straight in a straight yeah. direction out there. So, yeah. yeah must be fantastic. Uh, what's your show of the week? My show of the week is Payback. I just thought it was, uh, you know, I, I didn't think that I would like it as much uh, as I did. But, yeah, I, I'm totally in there for the long run to find out what's happening. 
the cask was just amazing. I can't go past the cast of Payback. So, yeah, if you haven't got BritBox, this is probably the one that might help you decide you need to get it. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think I've got to agree with you, Payback, but a special mention to Surviving Summer. It's a really great little production, and, um, yeah, I just, I just found myself really enjoying that. Yeah, good to hear. All righty. Thank you very much, Andrew Mercado. Look, we'll be back to do this again next week. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send an email to comments at tvgold.au. Nearly forgot what it was. And, and, you know, clear the slates, James. We've got a massive lineup of shows to do next week, including a couple of uh, Australian shows and what I think might be one of the, the, the big greatest dramas of the year too, slipping in as we come to the year's end. Fantastic. All right. We'll be looking forward to that. Okay. Many thanks, Andrew. We'll speak again soon. Thanks, James. Have a great week.